Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Elizabeth West, author of African Spirituality and Black Women's Fiction, Threaded Visions of Memory, Community, Nature, and Being, published by Lexington Books in 2011, is this week's featured author on New Books in African American Studies, the interview series where writers of African American life, arts, culture, and sciences discuss their new books. I'm your host, Vershawn Young, and I enjoyed learning all about the African spirituality and the works of the late 18th century poet Phyllis Wheatley, all the way through the works of Zora Neale Hurston during the Harlem Renaissance and beyond. I'm sure you'll enjoy this lively exchange with Elizabeth West as well. Listen in. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Rashawn. It's good to be talking to you today. Thank you, and welcome to New Books in African American Studies. Today, we're speaking with Elizabeth J. West, and she's the author of African Spirituality in Black Women's Fiction, Threaded Visions of Memory, Community, Nature, and Being, published by Lexington Books in 2011. Elizabeth's book, examines African spirituality and black women's writing from Phyllis Wheatley to Zora Neale Hurston. And in between these two authors' texts, she includes the study of such authors as Harriet Wilson and Elizabeth Keckley in what is called their novelized autobiographies. We're so delighted to have Elizabeth on the show today. Elizabeth, can you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm um, I'm currently at Georgia State University as an associate professor, where I've been um, uh, for for a while, uh, eleven years now, and um, I um, I'm a kind of a, a, a you know a dual um, a rooted person in terms of of uh, experience. I'm I've been in academia. Uh, probably half of my professional life and uh, came there from uh, um, private industry where I spent as many years. So I, um, in, in this half of my professional life, I'm having the opportunity to, uh, to get paid to, to pursue the kind of questions I had when I, you know, when I worked in private industry and didn't have that kind of time. 
And can you tell us what brought you to write African spirituality and black women's fiction? Well, to, to, to answer that question, I'm, I'm, I'm going to borrow from a book talk that I, um, I, I gave um, uh, last month at the Auburn Library here in Atlanta. Uh, and, uh, you know, as academics do, I, I, I felt like I had to have a title to uh, give me some direction. And, and I called that book talk, um, Yes, the Personal is Political and Intellectual as Well. And, and, and I came up with that title because I, I wanted to in that talk and, and because I knew people would have, you know, uh, that kind of question. I wanted to talk about uh, the origins of, of this project. Um, you know, so many times we want to talk about what we do in academia as if it is clearly disconnected from, you know, who we are personally, what our, you know, our, our personal orientation is. And I, I think it's useful, though, to, you know, to, to, to counter that, 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 that paradigm or that myth, uh, because we're all informed by, you know, by, by the personal, by our own experiences and our own lens. Mm-hmm. And, and so the book uh, project, you know, came about as, 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 you know, my interest in African-American literature as a student and in particular, early African-American literature, where class after class and conference after conferences later, uh, where I would read and hear people talk about early black uh, uh, fiction uh, or, you know, creative writing, uh, and talk about the issue of uh, or the matter of, of uh, religion and spirituality in a way that suggested that um, Africans in the New World, in terms of their religious orientation, um, you know that it began for them once they, you know, put uh, uh, foot on uh, the shores in the New World. You know, this kind of suggestion that Christianity became the begin was the beginning of uh, African American spirituality, and I knew from my own personal kinds of experiences that. Uh, there were all kinds of contradictions that I noticed as as, as a child growing up in in in, in the black church. Um, you know, you get this, um, you know, you get this understanding, uh, clear understanding of 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 you know what what constitutes Christianity. Uh, uh, you you get that in in writing and you know and in all the doctrine. But then you you know you attend church and you see things going on that don't quite. Uh, uh, fit into this paradigm of Western uh, uh, Christianity, and and you know what I realize is that Black people live this duality, um, and for the most part don't question it, but just accept it. And as you know, so as 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 I you know studied and read and wrote more about early African American uh, works, and in particular women's works. Uh, I just uh, I, I became struck by certain threads that I, I felt were evident, uh, you know, throughout these works, and I saw them eventually as tying to a kind of spiritual origins, and that origin uh, uh, extending across the Atlantic to continental Africa. Wow, that's fascinating. Let's jump right into that that topic because uh, you cite other. Uh, authors 
other scholars who have um, um, noticed a connection, a spiritual connection uh, in black women's fiction. One such critic is Anne Dalkey, Anne Dalk. Uh-huh. And but you're taking the study farther back than um Doc does in her work, right? Yes, yes. And a different perspective because her her work is um uh you know, it's briefer in terms of of its 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 look and it's also uh more of a uh, of a sociological kind of look you know whereas mine is you know extends um uh to the literary tradition and one passage that you cite from uh her work cites familiar authors to i, I suppose uh our listeners um Toni Morrison's beloved Alice Walker's The Color Purple Toni uh K Bambaro's The Salt Eaters um, and one work that, that you do deal with in your book, which is um, Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes uh, Were Watching God. Can you talk a little bit first about the African uh, spirituality that's present in contemporary black women's fiction? Um, well, what what I see in contemporary, in fact, is what, what inspired me to do this work and to look back to, to the early works. Uh, because in reading um, the works of, of authors such as, as Tony, um, you know, uh, Tony Morrison and, and uh, Gloria Naylor, uh, for instance, I saw these, you know, I saw these, these, um, these again, these threads that that were consistent in these works, and 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 particularly. Uh, for instance, the central place of, of memory in you know in these works, um, and in fact, if, if you know if you looked at uh, if you just you know went to to any kind of you know online search engine for Toni Morrison, you would just be flooded with scholarship uh, that looks at, at memory in, in, in Morrison's work. Um, so scholars recognize the importance of of, of memory, uh, remembering. Uh, in the works of of Toni Morrison, uh, and 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 in particular, for instance, if you think about uh, Beloved, uh, to make uh, Setha whole and healthy again, it is a process of community memoring that mm-hmm. uh, remembering that must take place, and that that that's this ritual that that happens at the end, mm-hmm. and and this is you know this is more. Than you know, just um, you know, a kind of isolated um, uh, you know practice that that Morrison captures here. You know, it it in fact again represents the central place of memory and community in the spiritual sensibilities of of Africans, uh, you know, in the New World and uh, and on on the continent. And so it was, you know, in the reading of these contemporary works and the scholarship on these works uh, that inspired me to, you know, to look at the earlier works because my, um, you know, my focus is uh, uh, for the, you know, the greater part of my work is uh, focuses on early African American uh, writers, and what disturbed me so often was how these early writers were dismissed um uh you know in terms of 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 their uh connections to um a, a kind of african origin uh, uh scholars typically just uh dismissed them the dismissed them as as you know these kind of 
of uh, uh, mockingbirds uh, uh, for uh, New World Christianity, uh, you know, with the implication that they, you know, they looked away from Africa, you know, both deliberately, uh, you know, and unconsciously. And I kept seeing these resonances of, you know, of Morrison and, you know, and, um, you know, and, and Naylor and Walker uh, in these early works. And uh, this is the, you know, what inspired me uh, to make the connection, to, to do more than just to look at how we see this in these contemporary works. Uh, and, and again, with, with a kind of suggestion that it's only through this kind of conscious, creative, um, uh, uh, you know, machination of, of, of African uh, female writers in the 20th and 21st century that we see this that it it just kind of spontaneously generates. And my position was, no, these women in the 20th, 20th century, 21st century, they are capturing something that is inherent in the culture of African people in the New World. Um, you know, something that you might even call a, a cultural um, or historical DNA even. You know, something that was there and transferred over early, with, you know, uh, initially with African people. And that you can see this then in the early works, particularly of African-American women. And in fact, your book um does something that every skillful researcher <laughs> needs to do. You went back to the beginning in order to uh, look at the works of Phyllis Wheatley, um, who uh, your book says uh, critics subjected to that claim of a kind of disconnection from um, uh, Africa, but you um, reclaimed the African spirituality in her work. Can you talk about that first chapter, uh, I'm sorry, that second chapter about Phyllis Wheatley? Um. Yes, this this actually was uh, represents a kind of um, awakening, intellectual awakening of of my own, because as a student, when I first encountered Wheatley, I um, I, I I for the most part appropriated the you know the kind of standard uh, reactions that that students and scholars have had to her work. And and that is to to give it this surface reading uh, and see it as merely you know this 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 young you know African woman brought here as a slave and uh, brainwashed early and could only see, see the world through the you know the white puritanical lens of her masters um, and. At some point, and I, I, you know, I think it was probably when I was in in graduate school, I revisited uh, Wheatley and started to consider more seriously, um, you know, the milieu in which Wheatley uh, is writing. Mm -hmm. And it just started to occur to me that this, this was a young woman who was just exceptional. She was clever. She was shrewd. Um, and that she was doing what, you know, what so many black writers would do after her. Uh, and that is you, to, to couch, you know, to couch meaning, to couch resistance in what seems to be the, you know, a language of acquiescence. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a specific example of when you think she, she does that um, in, in one of her uh, poetry, perhaps uh, in one of her poems, perhaps in... Uh, uh, on being brought from Africa to America? 
Yeah, that is, in, in fact, that's the poem that I teach uh, most often in uh, in both American and African American literature classes because students tend to read it and 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 just you know have knee jerk reactions to it. And again, that's because if you if you read it just on the surface, it does seem to be you, you know uh, a, a, a just you know uh, incredibly self-denigrating poem. But when you read the poem and you consider the the, the images, um, uh, the symbols at play, and it's such a brief poem too, which is which makes it so much more remarkable. Uh, you really begin then to appreciate Wheatley's genius uh, because it's, um, if I remember right, it's it's like an eight-line poem. And in that short poem, uh, she kind of has you on the hook until she gets you to the to the last two lines. And and by on the hook, I mean she seems to in the first in the first lines of the poem. She seems to be playing to, you know, the kind of standard um, uh, white rhetoric of, of African uh, primitivism, uh, uh, you know, in subhumanity uh, in those first few lines, you know, in which she describes, um, uh, you know, being uh, brought from a pagan land and, uh, you know, uh, coming to understand uh, God, you know, through um, uh, being, you know, brought to America. Uh, and so in those first few lines, there seems to just be, again, this incredible uh, giving over of her humanity. But the twist comes in the last two lines. Um, uh, and that, is, and you have to look carefully at the italics as well as the language itself. You know that that the in the last two lines, she begins with, with the word "remember," uh, almost in a command kind of tone. You know, the the very tone of the poem itself shifts when she gets to that second to the last line, and in that uh, uh, second to the last line, she takes us to. The biblical Cain, and and you know Cain is used in in you know in Western uh, religious um, uh, uh, rhetoric at this time to uh, justify the enslavement of of Africans, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that is this interpretation of of Cain as you know after having sinned, uh, being marked by God, um, uh, you know, and, um, uh, you know, being, you know, being written off. And uh, this was the often used um, uh, explanation for African uh, enslavery and, you know, enslavement in the New World. And so much so that oftentimes blacks themselves would recite this uh, as, you know, as the reading of, of Genesis. But but what Wheatley makes evident in this poem is that while she has heard this story as it's been told to her, um, that she in fact has gone to the source that you know the the, the text itself and that and read it in in its entirety and understands that while Cain was yes you know first damned by God in the end not only did God redeem Cain. But promised Cain, you know, uh, uh, you know, protection, hmm. um, you know, in in you know, in the ages to come, and and so it's it's Wheatley's way then of saying, uh, 
the African in terms of redemption is no different than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you no, know, he, you know, he sins, but God, you know, uh, uh, God looks at him, uh, you know, um, uh, rejects him at some point, but that, you know, God is, forgi- God is forgiving and redemptive and that this is the story of Cain and thus the story of Africans uh, as well. Wow. Incisive analysis. Excellent. Um, your overall, the, the book deals with what we call, you know, literary works uh, in terms of uh, Wheatley's poetry um, and novels, short stories, etc. But in in the chapter that follows your discussion of Wheatley, you deal with um, rhetorical works. You deal with um, preachers. Uh, can you tell us about um, that choice and why that's important at this time period? I think I think to to go to these early black women, um, uh, you know, preachers and religious figures uh, is central in a discussion of African American women's writing, whether you know creative or nonfiction. Uh, because they represent, um, uh, you know, a kind of uh, 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 beginnings, uh, origins uh, for both um, for both areas of African American women's writing. Um, you you get the emergence of um, African American women's fiction around the you know the middle of the 19th century, uh, but before then. You have an abundance of you know of of, of work of writings um, by uh, uh, nonfiction writings by African American women, and what you see exemplified in these works, and you know in the terms of the kinds of symbols and images and tropes and voice, uh, you know that they will appropriate these. These are then you know transformed into. Um, you know, into the literary fiction as well. So mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's central to begin with, um, you know, with these nonfiction writers. Now, one of the most um, familiar to, to probably our listeners is Mariah Stewart, but you deal with Rebecca Cox, uh, Jarena Lee. Um, how do they compare uh, to um, Stewart? I, I, think in in my mind they um I see them as more revealing um in 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 terms of the the kind of obvious connections you can draw in their work uh to um an African spiritual origins. Um Stewart is tied to um you know, tied to the um, uh, the early black church um, in a way that I I, I think is is um, is, is uh, represents a greater struggle for her than than I think um, uh, Lee and Jackson even, and so Stewart's works oftentimes I think uh, resonate more with a kind of of church patriarchal. Um, uh, rooting than um, you know than the works of Lee and Jackson, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but but 
you know, in spite of that, in, 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 you know, among the three, I, you know, as I talk about in the book, there are still these, these kind of obvious, um, uh, you know, presumptions in their, not only in their work, but in, in the very assertion of themselves, uh, you know, putting themselves out there as the spiritual figures um, that come out of, uh, of again, um, and, uh, you know, an African sense of, of um, uh, you know, divine inspiration, and that is that women um, are natural and 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 oftentimes um uh the choice vessels of 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 the divine you know in terms of 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 conveying um you know uh, uh spiritual you know messages um and so with um with lee and you know with lee and jackson in in their works though um i think you see more though of of very specific kinds of uh connections to um african spiritual sensibilities you know things like um uh nature you know the 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 connection of nature and god you know and how uh nature plays into spiritual revelations I, before we move on to the mid to late 19th century writers that you talk about in this book, uh, I want to slow down here to ask a question about the um, elements of spirituality or Af- African spirituality that you uh, codify in the book that a reader could discern uh, in these works. You've already referenced um, the role of memory, but there are others that you uh, cite that are um, inherent to African uh, spirituality? Uh, yeah, memory, uh, memory I start with as, 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 you know, kind of central and, um, and I, uh, I, I talk about how we, um, you know, how we again see that in pre, uh, middle passage experience, uh, among African people, uh, memory, um, community, uh, community uh, again is this this other element of of Africana culture uh, to the present that you know that 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 we see pervasive uh, uh, you know in the culture of African people and and again so much so that we see it in um, in scholarship on African works as as a, a, a prevailing topic. Um, so memory community. And then the matter of of nature, and and that is um, uh, nature, both animate and inanimate, and how that um, you know how that then informs uh, you know an African sensibility uh, about the spiritual. Uh, that 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 again very much contrasts Christianity, in, in which there is this presumption that you, you know it, it it's this. It, is that religion is, is this relationship between God and man, uh, whereas a more um, African-rooted sensibility sees God, uh, you know, uh, in in all of our existence, animate and inanimate. Uh, so again, that it is the sense the sense of nature um, as very much a part of human spiritual experience, and then. 
uh, finally, this this belief in the interconnectedness, uh, interconnectedness of worldly and otherworldly beings, um, and um, that is the sense that among African uh, 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 people that the living, uh, the fortunes of the living, are very much tied to uh, the um, the other world. Uh, and so that, and you see that, and, and that's how you see this kind of interplay of these other concepts as well, because, you know, other world, uh, meaning, uh, the ancestors who, you know, who have passed, and, and that ties to the sense of, of memory, so that it becomes central to the culture, uh, that, uh, memory, uh, always must play a part of the spiritual. The ancestors must be remembered. That is how, you know, that is how you get, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the blessings uh, uh, in, in your life in the carnal world. I have a, another question for you um, that struck me after I uh, finished reading the book, and um, and that is about the comparison or the contrast uh, between the um, antebellum uh, women writers that you uh, study and the postbellum writers. Is there a difference between uh, uh, in the way in which they represent and feature African spirituality? Uh, yeah, I think the, you know, what we find in, in, um, in the antebellum uh, writings, is this um, is this kind of giving over of all that is African uh, to um, a Western assessment of of race, um, particularly Africanity. So what we see in these works, um, uh, you know, at least ostensibly, uh, is this rejection, uh, in, you know, rejection of, 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 of all that is connected to, uh, you know, to an African past. So, so Christianity is, is appropriated because it is then associated with uh, civilization uh, and, and with, uh, you know, and with, you know, humanity uh, or, or, you know, um, human existence that, that is of any worth. Uh, and so in these, in these antebellum writings, you see, uh, you see women writers, uh, you know, who if they address uh, 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 an evident African presence in, you know, uh, in their works, um, they will uh, they will deal with it in the work in a way uh, again that resonates with a kind of Western sensibility uh, about um, you know blackness and Africanity associated with a kind of subhuman you know subhumanity. Do you think that there is a um, um, more significant presence in the more autobiographical works, such as Keckley's memoir or uh, Wilson's um, R. Nig or Harriet Jacobs' incidents in the life of a slave girl, as opposed to, let's say, the, the 
not too far off, but uh, latter works of uh, Harper's Iola Leroy um, or Hopkins Contending Forces? Uh, I think I think it is it is much more um, prevalent in the later works, uh, the later nineteenth century works, um, uh, Harper and Hopkins in particular, um, and. Um, uh, it, you know, when we get to Harper and and Hopkins, we we you know we aren't at that point again where African women writers are willing to see Africa as as you know as worthy, uh, you know as 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 you know as human, um, uh, uh, but they um, but they they are willing to you know connect. To in you know in 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 you know subtle kind of ways um, you know connect Africans um, uh, uh, in the New World more clearly to uh, an African past um, and um, in, in in particular in Hopkins I think I think Hopkins um, uh, is uh, in, uh, contending forces is one of those works that that that, that I think most humorously um, uh, make the point. I, I, I think I have most uh, uh, most fun when I when I, I think about that <laughs> chapter and and when I teach um, uh, teaching um, uh, you know teaching uh, contending forces because. Uh, Hopkins really uh, starts to kind of uh, you see this kind of subversiveness at play in in Hopkins' uh, work in in terms of challenging this notion that Western Christianity uh, represents this kind of authoritative and final voice on you know on real or true Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, do you mind if I ask you a somewhat uh, possibly contentious question about one of your Harlem Renaissance authors, Jesse Fawcett? Uh-huh. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm wondering, and I was wondering as I, as I read the book, and I have in the margins around pages 130 through 137, where you're discussing Fawcett's um, There is Confusion. And the, her uh, protagonist Joanna, and I'm wondering if your reading, if you would say that your reading is one that Fawcett herself would agree with. Not that it, not that it, not that that means that it's wrong, and that's not what I'm suggesting. I mean, in terms of bringing out the African spirituality in the text. Yeah, no, a- absolutely, and, and and actually, I think your 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 question is is so important for for just that reason, uh, and and that is to uh, not give the impression that that you know in this book I'm trying to suggest the, uh, that there is some kind of uh, continued uh, conscious thread at play because this is I think what is most exciting about. Um, the read of these works that I'm giving, and that is that these are things at play in um, these, you know, these concepts and paradigms of Africanity are at play in these works, whether the authors meant them or not. Mm. And in most cases, uh, uh, I think with the exception of, uh, of um, Hurston, in fact, I think you could probably argue that they didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about, I'm going to ask you about how the ending of 
uh, Nella Larson's quicksand uh, coheres with um, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to formulate this question because it just <laughs> it just came to me actually um, coheres with um, a, a spiritual presence in the in the novel it seems that critics would argue that um, uh, the Mm, what's the word for it? The um, lack of a lack of vision or, um, or the seeming future for um, Angela in this text, at the end of the text, at least, um, is demoralizing in some ways. Uh, it is, and 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 in fact, that's um, that's the point I'm getting at in in that. Um, you know, in that look at at Larson's text, um, and and the the emphasis on on Larson's text, in, in fact, is not to make the case of uh, of you know African spirituality at work in in her her text, but actually to demonstrate this you know, this this clear rejection of Christianity that becomes prevalent in um, Harlem Renaissance women's writings. You know, it, there's, there's this, um, uh, you know, what quicksand gives us in, in terms of Christianity, I think is without a doubt uh, a rejection. Uh, uh, Christianity can't save, it does not save the protagonist. And, 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 and you know, in what is suggested in the title itself, quicksand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is this is tantamount to what Christianity does to the heroine. Uh, it just sucks her in and sucks the very life out of her. Uh, but the the emphasis is though that what what happens in Larson's text though is while she you know while she rejects the the, the text does not play to um, you know this kind of uh, 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 typical representation of, of Christianity um, as an awakening and concurrent with the, the um, you know the awakening of the of, of the protagonist. Um, that rather than that, um, uh, again, Christianity doesn't uh, you know it doesn't function uh, alongside of, of a kind of narrative of awakening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That. But but what Larson does alternatively is that she suggests then that yes we can still see these elements of Africanity in African people in the New World, but the the importance of, of quicksand in that respect though is that she what she suggests is that a, a a kind of hope of looking to Africa. As salvation or redemption or enlightenment is futile as well. Right, right. You know what? Thank you for that clarification. Um, thank you so much. That's that's really important to how I'm um, understanding uh, what I read. I, I think I probably um, missed uh, that point because I was focusing on what seemed to be a um, suggested transformation uh, in that text. Uh, uh, in uh, Angela's life, but but you just clarified it for me, so thank you. Would you mind uh, reading a passage for us? Uh, certainly. 
Um, I, I I think what I'll I'll do is go to um, the section on uh, on Hurston, uh, and I'll I'll read the section uh, from the section that looks at uh, Hurston's novel um, Jonas Gordvine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's um, it, it's I, I, I'll 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 try to shorten it, but I I want to give enough of it to give a a, a sense of the argument um, that I'm making here because I think with this uh, passage it it helps to give a real sense of you know where uh, the the book takes us uh, at the end. Uh, so I'll begin on page 154. John is a big voice. He is divinely inspired. While he does not realize his gift until he reaches manhood, his almost mystical return to his homeland hints at the destiny that awaits him. Not long after John's arrival, he battles a fearsome snake that lurks along a path frequently traveled by Lucy and others in the community. John's encounter with the serpent that strikes fear in the community portends his spiritual greatness. Lucy describes the snake as cunning and frightening. She tells John, quote, He got a hole back under the bank where you can see him, but you can't get him, though. Don't you was down in the branch. He lay all round there on the ground and even on the foot log. But when he sees somebody coming, he go in his hole all ready for you to uh, for you and lay there and dare you to bother him. When John kills this dreaded creature, Lucy is ecstatic. Ooh, John, I'm so glad you killed that old devil. He been right there scaring folks since before I was born. Lucy's paradoxical awe and fear of the snake symbolizes its dual legacy in African-American culture. Her awe of the snake reminds us of its place of reverence in traditional African societies. Her view of the snake as demonic represents the influence of Christianity's representation of the snake in the Garden of Eden. With its transformed image as demon in African American culture, the human who has power over the snake is then considered one who holds supernatural ability. John's triumph over the snake seems to suggest that he is divinely empowered. But if we consider Lucy's description of the snake, perhaps John's conquest is more accurately read as the signal of his ultimate doom. Mm -hmm. While Lucy tells John that the snake strikes fear in all of the community, she reports that he retreats when others approach, daring them to disturb his ground. According to Lucy, the snake predates her. He is legendary. Though she reports that the snake is threatening, she does not indicate that the snake has ever harmed anyone. The community has lived in a long-standing truce with the snake. They fear and revere it, but they accept its place among them. The snake comes among them, but they know that they are not allowed in the snake's refuge. John disturbs this balance with his aggressive pursuit and slaying of the creature. He has broken the cycle. And while Lucy celebrates his momentary victory, John ultimately cannot find peace or balance in his life. Mm. Very important uh, uh, section. 
Can you uh, tell us how you imagine your book being um, taught? What kinds of courses and um, uh, and what kind of uh, uh, curriculum setting? Um, I I see it as um, uh, a book most useful in upper division and and graduate level. Uh, uh, courses um, uh, that, uh, you know, have a particular emphasis in, um, uh, let's say, women's literature, African-American literature, um, literature and religion, you know, literature and, and, and spirituality. Oh, nice. And what are you working on now? I um, I am, I have this, this long-standing interest in uh Ethiopianism in early uh African American writings. Uh and so I'm beginning to uh uh to kind of outline um uh, a study um uh that will look at um uh this what what really becomes this 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 um tradition of of um you know of Ethiopianism uh, in you know nonfiction as well as uh, fiction in in early African American works. Thank you, Elizabeth West, for joining us on New Books in African American Studies. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion with Elizabeth West about her new provocative book, African Spirituality and Black Women's Fiction: Threaded Visions of Memory, Community, Nature, and Being published by Lexington Books in 2011. Even if you are not an African-American literary critic or cultural critic, if you are an everyday reader, I'm sure you will enjoy this book as well. It's quite informative. Get your copy today. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.